0: The message that I want to share with you this morning is called Motives, Morals, and Mindsets. So start with me in verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, and we're just going to digest the Word of God together. 1 Peter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, gird your minds or prepare your minds for a nap. What does it say? For action. Come on, I want you to engage with me this morning. I hate the church attender thing and we just watch something happen. I want you to get in the Word of God with me. Gird your minds. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now I want you to notice just in these two verses the past, present, and future implications of what is said. So follow this with me. Right here in the present, the Word of God is calling us to do what? Prepare our minds for action. Somebody say amen. Amen. And keep sober in spirit. Now sobriety in our society has to do with drunkenness. You're either drunk or you're sober. But sober or sobriety biblically means to be paying attention. And I'm here this morning to call you to attention and to call you to open your eyes and look wide and think carefully and critically about what is happening motivationally, morally, and in a mindset within your own life. So I want you less to think about the motives and morals and mindsets of others and just allow the Holy Spirit to breathe upon your heart And show you where your morality lies, what your motives or how you're motivated, and what your mindsets really are. Is that clear? So, in the present, we're preparing our minds for action, we're keeping sober in spirit. Now, what about the future? We're to fix our hope completely. On the grace that is to be revealed. When? At the return of Jesus. So in other words, I have to be looking to the future of eternity with Jesus that one day in the twinkling of an eye, He really is going to come back. And He's going to come back for His bride. And we are going to be meeting Him in the air. We're going to be caught up in that moment at the blast of the trumpet. And a whole bunch of power and glory is going to break out. That's my end time theology, by the way. Power and glory. And don't deny Jesus. Here, keep the book of Revelation simple. What's your eschatology, brother? Don't deny Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're post-trib, mid-trib, or tribia. Whatever. Don't deny Jesus. Whatever you do. I think it says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. So we're to fix our hope where? On the return. Our hope is not in this life. Being a hopeless Christian is not a thing. Because if you are a believer in Jesus and you have been born again, you have been brought into an eternal experience and you have an eternal perspective and paradigm because you are focused on the life to come. If you are born again, you are quite literally not living for this life. You are living for the life to come. This is why the scripture calls us aliens, calls us sojourners. In other words, we're literally just passing through this life. Do you know why people struggle to give their money unto Jesus? Because their, their gaze is on this life. I'm telling you right now, if we could shift our thinking away from I can't afford to give to I can't afford not to give... I can't afford to rob my spiritual life by keeping my money to myself. That's an eternal perspective. That's one that shifts and moves my heart. Why do we give our money? We give our money not because God needs it, because we need to be liberated from our money. Otherwise, we will serve our money and money will be our God. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus said you cannot serve God and money? You would think it would be God and sex, or God and fame, or God and... No, God and money. Why? Because nothing touches the human heart like money. Nothing moves us. If I gave you $1,000 right now, you would have some emotion. You would be moved. So why is it that we call it worship, and we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, and it's okay to be completely unmoved and unemotional? Is that because we love money more than we love God? If you hit the lottery, you would probably go absolutely wild. It would be something that we wanted to have recorded. Of you losing your mind that you just got a hundred million dollars. But for some reason, if you get excited like Jesus gave you a hundred million dollars, people have a problem with you. This is what I call the wet blanket brethren. And they want to put your fire out and they want you to calm down and they want you to not take God so seriously. Why? Because your conviction threatens their compromise. So they've got to talk you out of your conviction. Beware of people that challenge your convictions because they have none of their own. They want to debate you. They want us like, listen, get your own convictions. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict and to show you right now where your motives are. See, we, we talk a lot as human beings about what we did. Here's what I did. Here's what I accomplished. Here's what I earned. Here, here's where I went. God is looking at the how. He's examining the why. So in church circles, how big is the church? How many people go? What kind of this or that? Why? Because we measure success by all the wrong metrics, but God looks at our motives. He looks at why we do the things that we do. Have you ever had an involuntary response to something? Have you ever something, and you were like, before you could even like rationally think, you had a response. This is the motives that get revealed. This is what's really going on inside that has to get revealed to us. So the Holy Spirit begins to work, and He begins to convict. And what does He want to do? He wants our motives to be the motives of Jesus. He wants our morals to be the morals of Jesus. He wants our mindset to be the mindset of Christ. Are you still here? Look again at verse 14. As not rebellious, not willful, but obedient children. That's you and I. People say, oh, I'm a child of God. Are you an obedient child of God? We live in a time where if you preach obedience, people are ready to scream legalism at you. Did you know that obedience is Jesus' love language? It makes him really happy when we obey? He said, "If you love me, you will." You will keep my commandments. You will obey me." So preaching obedience to God isn't legalism, it's the gospel. It's the truth that I am not my own. I've been bought with a price and I no longer get to do what I want to do. I've got to serve Him and honor Him and love Him and live my life for Jesus. In other words, my life is not my own. I'm under new management and new ownership and I choose what He says. Guys, I'm telling you, the foundations are eroded. You You would be appalled at preaching like this that would get you tossed out of places that say they're churches. And they just might be synagogues of Satan, deceiving people and themselves being deceived. We're in a war for truth. And if you don't think we're in a war for truth, you're already deceived. You've already been put to sleep. You've already come under the satanic lullaby of just relax. Man, you're really taking God seriously. Yeah, my soul's on the line. You're like really going all out, aren't you? Yeah, what else is there? Last time I checked, Jesus said that if you're neutral, if you're not for Him, you're against Him. So this whole middle that we've made isn't even real. You are either serving God or serving yourself. You are either in light or in darkness. But we've created this whole middle called the fence that people love to ride and we like to be one foot in with God and one foot out in the world and that doesn't work. Those on the fence will perish. Here's the truth. If you don't get sold out, you will sell out. The enemy will come and he will find your price. He will find your temptation. He will exploit your proclivities. He will discover what can move you away from Jesus and he will bring it to you in a truckload. He's a deceiver, he's really good at what he does. I would love to tell you that the devil is a thumbless, toeless, toothless loser. And he is. But he's also a worthy adversary. It says that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If a lion were walking around this room right now and the first person that moved got devoured, oh, you'd be dead still. You'd be, oh, I gotta sneeze. <laughs> but we live our lives like none of that's actually real. Oh, I can put my toe in the water of the world. Oh, I, I, I can, I can touch the the fence a little bit. When I was in Georgia, I walked into an electric fence. That was fun. Yeah! Oh! It's like, did it burn a hole in my shirt? So what happens when you try to feed horses with Lance Johnson. You find out you're the donkey. I want to bring you into sobriety about the hour that we live in. I want you to be critically thinking and paying attention because so many are sleeping. And you know what the church is really good at? Inviting people to their sleepovers. Oh, bring your pillow and blanket. You don't have to take up your cross. Just bring your pillow and your blanket because it's all about you. And we're here to comfort you. You have gospel preachers who think that you can actually hug somebody into heaven. I'm talking like you're in sin. You hate God. And it's like, well, we'll just shower you with so much love and kindness, brother, that eventually you'll just see that we, we're right and you're wrong. You know, that don't work. It doesn't work like that. It's the truth of the gospel that cuts and pierces the hearts of people and they need to hear the reality of their eternal state if their decision doesn't change. That's not mean, that's love. But here's the end time perversion. It's about love and what loving someone looks like. And we have extracted the truth, pulled it right out of love. And what we're left with isn't love, it is tolerance. And the church has become professionally minded about tolerating sin. Oh, you're in sin. Well, we'll just look the other way because they give a lot of money to the church. Oh, I'm telling the truth now. Oh, we can't confront them about the idolatry that's in their life because they might leave. And here we go, serving the gods of attendance and money and numbers rather than the true gospel, preaching the word and letting the chips fall where they may. I want to tell you with all the love of God in my heart, that if every single person in this room left this church because of what I'm preaching this morning, I would be a coward if I regretted it. We need people that have nothing to lose and only one to honor. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Now I want you to hear the mercy in this statement. How many of you have former lusts? Thank you God that they're former. Did you know here's the past part of this? We talked about present and future. Now we're talking about the past. If I'm truly born again, I've got some things that are no longer alive in my life. I should have some former lusts I should have some things that used to rule me that no longer do this is why the primary evidence I believe of being truly born again is that you will love things you used to hate and hate things you used to love it's really that simple you will find that there's a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit beating inside of you and yes it is a process but oh there's a real change and then you see the shift in someone's lifestyle but you know what we've done we've allowed people to tell us that they're saved and nothing in their lifestyle changes that's not gospel that's not God and that's not good at all how does nothing change if now you're under a new master and you're doing what he says but hear the mercy in this verse it says that you were doing them in your ignorance In other words, you didn't know any better. So if God looks at it as sin and ignorance, then maybe it's time to let it go. Maybe it's time to stop beating yourself up and stop remembering your past when God has already dealt with it on the cross through His Son. And you really can move on and live a new life. Listen to me, there are ex-cons in this room. There are ex-drug dealers in this room. There are ex-you-know-what in this room. And you know what? Jesus has delivered us and set us free and healed us. You really can change, not yourself, but by the power of Jesus Christ. The blood is still active. It's still effective. The gospel still works if you work the gospel. Thank you, Todd Hill. So you didn't know any better, but guess what? Now you do. Now you know. Now you know that this doesn't lead to life and I'm not going to do it anymore. See, here's the issue with lust. We have reduced lust to being sexual in nature. The word of God and the Greek word for lust firstly has to do with desire. Yes, that is implied, but it has to do with your desires. So in English, we think lust, sex. But in the word of God, there is more to lust. And I want to unpack it for you. I'm going to give you three areas of lust. And this is basic, but I told you the foundations are eroding. And I want to make sure that they're in place and they're in sync here. Number one is the lust for money. It's called greed. You can lust for money. Can I tell you something? It is never enough. The lust for money is endless. The lust for money will ruin your life. It says that those pursuing riches pierce themselves with many griefs. If you want to live a miserable life, pursue money desire money and more money now money is a tool and money is powerful and money can change your life and change others around you but when you are in the lust of money you will pray God bless me when you are delivered from the lust of money you will say God make me a blessing The heart is completely different. Can I I confess something to you? I want to make a lot of money in my life. You know why? Because I want to bless a lot of people. Because I want to be the guy that when there's a need, and it's not in the hundreds or the thousands, it's in the ten thousands and the hundreds of thousands, that God has blessed us so that we can bless others. I'm always thinking about new ways for new Avenues of income. Why? Because this is the kingdom of God, and I want to damage the kingdom of darkness. We've got to stop shaming people for being rich and encourage them to be good stewards with their wealth. But the poverty gospel comes to tell you that you're not really following God if you have money in the bank. Well, you might be if you're keeping it all to yourself. And that's true. But remember, nothing touches money. Nothing touches your heart like money. Nothing moves us quite like money. So the lust for money, greed will ruin you. How do we get delivered from greed and fear at the same time? We give unto the Lord. We get disciplined in our finances here. I'm going to tell you a secret. And it's true. And if you've been in ministry, you will amen this statement and you will know this is true. Here's the fact about ministry. People in the church, in any church that cause the most problems give the least money. Now I'm going to tell you why this is true. Because something has happened in the heart of a man or a woman when they are discipled in their finances and they are giving unto the Lord. Something has broken in them that translates into the rest of their life where they're no longer a troublemaker and a rebel and a resistor. God has broken them in the area of their finances and because they've opened their wallet to God, they've really opened their heart to God. So when we put our money where our mouth is, something happens. And by the way, there won't be a second offering. I'm not fishing for anything. This is the truth of God's word that we need in this hour. So the people that give the least cause the most trouble. Why? Because they're undisciplined and they're undiscipled because they're resisting God in the area of their finances and it shows up in their relationships and then their patterns of living Does that make sense yeah. number two would be the lust for sex yes there's the lust for money but you have the lust for sex you have the desire for pleasure and to please yourself. The world is selling lust like never before. The world is inventing new ways to sell you lust and to get you to desire something that is not God. You and I were made for God. We were made to know Him. We were made for relationship and connection with God. The spirit of this age wants to get you connected to anything but God. So if the devil can get you to believe anything about God, it won't be the truth. He'll come to deceive you and lie to you and get you to think that you know God when really he's distorted who God truly is. So then we think, oh, well, the the church just wants your money. No, God wants your heart. And when it comes to sexuality, if you do not have a handle on your own desires... Self-control is not optional. It's quiet in here. Self-control is not optional. Even when you get married, you still need self-control. Somebody say amen. But you know what the church is full of right now? It's full of young people who thought that marriage would fix their porn problem. I'm talking, it is an epidemic. It is an absolute scourge upon the church. Oh, I thought, no, listen, what you've been watching ain't real, my brother, my sister. It's a game. It's an act. It's deceiving you. It's causing you to have desires that are born of the devil. And it will make you so dysfunctional and so isolated, it will ruin your life and your marriage and your ministry. It will literally destroy you. If we stopped treating lust like a little kitty cat and like a roaring lion that could devour us, we would actually flee from sexual immorality and run the other way. I'm talking about running for your life. Would anybody like to give a demonstration of what running for your life looks like? Just kidding, don't do it. (laughs) You better scream and yell and go through that drywall. Because you are running for your life. But you know what we do? We pet it. Oh, come a little closer. Spend a little more time with me. And we don't realize that we're being pulled in. And we're being sucked in and we're being influenced. If anything in your life or on social media feeds sexual desire in you, you need to turn it off. You need to get rid of it. You need to unfollow it. I don't care if you end up not with a flip phone, but no phone. Like, yeah, I live in 2023 and I don't have a phone. You can write me a letter in the mail. Here's my address. Because if that's what you need to get delivered and set free, I dare you to do it. I dare you to take your soul so seriously and the gospel so real to you that you will do whatever it takes to be free. I had a dream like three weeks ago and in the dream I was yelling at a crowd of people, are you hosting God or playing church? I woke up and was like, I guess that... Summarizes my ministry. (laughs) Number three is the lust for power. It's called ambition. We lust for power. We have a generation of influencers, do we not? What if instead of trying to be influential, we just tried to be intimate with God? Y'all, I have people in my life that are hounding me about posting on social media. You know why I don't do it? Because my intimacy with God is not where I want it to be. And I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be thinking about what I need to post on social media when I need to be praying and fasting and reading God's Word. And I believe in social media. I believe it's the modern day marketplace. I believe it's a powerful tool to reach a generation. If you knew that hundreds of thousands of people were going to read the newspaper, wouldn't you want to put an article in there about Christ? So here's the balance. How do you steward social media? If you are spending more time scrolling than you are posting, I would say you're out of balance. Because social media has created a platform for us to consume other people's lives and then you end up having conversations in your personal life about what somebody posted on the internet and you think it's relationship. This is the distortion. This is the end time deception. Because the information age and the social media age, nobody's ever navigated it before. We're all walking through it together and trying to figure it out together. But there is a trap for the enemy and it feeds the lust for power. It feeds the lust for influence. It feeds the desire in us that wants to get a lot of likes and rates and subscribers. And what it does is it digs out a place in us that says, you're not cool and you're not worth anything because nobody follows you on social media. Because you poured your heart out in that last post and six people liked it. The lust for power and the ambition that comes with it. We need to be training people that faithfulness is a far greater treasure than being famous. Did you know that you can be known across the whole earth and not be known in heaven? Are you all awake this morning? Am I at our father's house in Avon, Indiana or did I show up in some Baptist church today? So what are you longing for? Right now, take inventory. What are you longing for? What is your heart's greatest desire? What is the thing that moves you and that causes you to pursue and to go after and to chase and to spend money on? What is the thing that you're saving for? Believing for? Hoping for? This speaks to our motives. It speaks to our desires, and it speaks to the power of lust within us. Lust is not love. God calls us to love. There is a difference between ambition and aspiration. I know that people that have a call to ministry often wrestle this monster But the difference between ambition and aspiration is this. Ambition has an urgency to it. Has a I need it now to it. That's not born of the Spirit of God. If there's aspiration within you, then there is a contentment to wait on the Lord and to allow Him to open whatever doors He wants to. You can end up preaching and teaching God's word to people that He never called you to. This is like a novel thought for people. Well, I'm preaching, it must be God. I'm leading, it must be God. Not necessarily. Here's the comfort that you can have. If you refuse to promote yourself and you just remain faithful, if God opens doors for you, you'll know it's actually God you won't have any thought in the back of your mind that maybe I did this. Maybe I said the right words. Maybe I manipulated and navigated enough through human relationships. Maybe I got around leaders enough for them to see something in me to promote me and you stop having an agenda and your only desire is Jesus. That's aspiration. God, I aspire to please you. I aspire to serve you. I aspire to give you my all. Did you know there's a whole generation of people that think it is the church's job for them to use their gift? (laughs) No amens, praise the Lord. This is the consumeristic concept. Well, I've got a gift and you should do something with it. Why should we do something with it if you're not doing anything with it? If you're a teacher, teach your family. If you're an evangelist, win souls in your workplace. The anointing and the grace of God that's resting upon you will become evident and will open doors for you. But what we do is we live as victims of the call of God and then we blame other people that they're not really hearing the Lord. No, maybe you're trying to get promoted before your time. Because that is a bomb quote. From R.T. Kendall. He said the worst thing that can happen to a man. Is him be successful before he's ready. What if the lights and the fame and the microphone we want. Would actually expose us and ruin us and destroy us. I'm telling you it's a fearful thing. To address God's people and teach God's word. You will withstand a stricter judgment. Before Jesus, that's what the Word says. Everybody thinks judgment is a one-to-one, we all get the same. No, that's not even true. Not only will teachers get a more strict judgment and those who dared to represent God to His people, God wants it done right and He wants it done according to His Word with His heart. Not only is that true, but here's the deal. If you show others mercy, you will be shown mercy by Jesus. But if you show others judgment and criticism, you will get ample judgment and criticism from Jesus. Doesn't that make you want to give somebody the benefit of the doubt? Like, my God, I need mercy. I want to stand before the Lord and there be a whole lot of lenience and leeway because I'm a real idiot and I need help. (laughs) But here's what we do. We judge other people harshly and we want mercy for ourselves. And that's where a self-righteous spirit is born. But we should be showing others mercy and judging rightly ourselves. Because this letter says that judgment begins in the house of God. It should start here. We should be rightly judging and examining ourselves even before we take the Lord's Supper. Even before we eat of the bread and drink of the juice, we should be examining ourselves saying, God, whatever in me offends you, whatever in me is a stench in your nostrils, please show it to me so that I can repent and I can be right with you. We need a righteousness revival in the church. I think people call revival like good church. Like, oh, that was good. I was like, good, this is revival. Revival. There's no real revival without repentance, without righteousness, without holiness, without sackcloth and ashes. Because a real move of God is actually ugly in the sight of men. It's nasty. It's where all the dross and all the garbage and all the junk gets drawn out of you and you see yourself how God sees you and you fall down in your face and you repent and you ask God for mercy. That's what a move of God does. It humbles us all and it lays us low so that He can be lifted high. So what are you longing for? What is the chief desire of your heart? For so many Americans, it is convenience and comfort. We are addicted to what is convenient. Like, oh, it, it, I thought it was five minutes away. It's seven. Uh, we can't go there. Like, are, are we in a horse-drawn carriage and it's going to take another 30 minutes? Well, well we, we got to go here and then there and then there because it's 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 convenient. Well, I can't help you after where it's not convenient. Well, you know what? Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you is often not convenient. What if we don't have time for the things that God wants us to have time for? Because what's ruling our hearts is convenience. We want a convenient church. Family and kingdom family is hard, it's messy. But it teaches us how to love. I am convinced the number one reason why people leave a church hurt and offended and mad is because they refuse to learn how to love. If you join flippantly, you will leave flippantly. I actually respect people that take months to pray and seek the Lord and say, God, is this really where you want us? Because where you go and where you fellowship and what teaching you hear and what presence you're around, it really matters. It has the opportunity to change your life or ruin your life. But the spirit of the age comes to tell you that where you go to church ain't a big deal. You can just hop all around and be a little Holy Ghost grasshopper and you can just join wherever and go to the next big thing and what you're really doing is avoiding accountability. Come on. And by the way, the more responsibility you get in God's kingdom, the more accountability you need because you're stewarding more and your fall would be greater and would ruin more people's lives. At the top, you don't become less accountable. You become more accountable. Why? Because the top is actually the bottom. And God is reorienting His body where ministry means service, not being superstars. How are we doing? We're about 10% of the way there that I thought we would get. (laughs) We have a tithe of this message. <laughs> Alright, let's grab a few more verses and trust the Lord together. So the lusts, your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. Verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behaviors. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Please hear me clearly. Valuing holiness doesn't make you a legalist. It makes you a Christian. You say holiness and people are like, here's where we've gotten it really, really wrong. We have made holiness about externals. Right. Andrew, would you come up here? You're like, me? Yes, you. <laughs> look at those green pants. You look good today, dude. Okay, just stand next to me. How many tattoos you have? I lost count. He lost count. Give us an estimate. 50. 30. 30. Here's where the church has missed the boat entirely. We've made holiness about externals. We've looked at tattoos. We've looked at hair. We've made holiness about appearance. Holiness is about morals and motives. Holiness is about what you really desire and what you really love. But there are plenty of people and plenty of places that would look at me with no tattoos and Andrew with tattoos and say, well, I'm holy and he's not. Do you know how bogus that is? Right. Come on. Well, we both have beards, so I guess we're going to hell. <laughs> and we have women play instruments there. We're all going to hell. We had, some, we had a woman talk, we're going to hell. We, we focus so much on the externals. Thank you. You are my prop today. <laughs> Somebody give that man some money. <laughs> but we focus on the externals. We focus on dress. Well, women can't wear pants. What? Why? Well, she should be wearing something. Okay, don't don't lose your minds. But we obsess over what we can see. We obsess over appearances. We look at attire. And God is looking at morals and motives. He's looking at why you wear what you wear. He's looking at how you did it. He's examining what really moves you in your life. Because true holiness is motivated by the fear of the Lord. It's motivated by, I just want to please the Lord today. I just want to honor Him. I'm living on borrowed time, breathing borrowed air. And I want to give it all back to Jesus and serve Him rightly. Real holiness separates me from the world not because I'm just trying to get rid of this or that or God wants to take my fun away, but because God is actually renewing my desires and I actually love things that He loves. But we've beat people up with the holiness message, but real holiness is full of hope. Real holiness has the love and the breath of God in it where, man, it's a joy to live holy. You know why? Because you're not snagged and torn up by guilt and shame and condemnation and regret because your conscience is actually clear. I'm telling you, never underestimate the power of a clean conscience. Never undersell the power of sleeping peacefully at night. Y'all, there's a lot of people that they lay awake at night and they are blessed. Bothered by what they've done, and they feel guilt and they feel shame, but they want to keep it in darkness and they want to hide. When you come to the Holy One, He makes you holy, and you respond. Listen, hear me this Holy fear makes you accountable, demonic fear makes you paranoid. Look at verse 17. If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in in fear during the time of your stay on earth. So demonic fear will make you paranoid. I must be doing it wrong. You did it wrong. And you get that penny pinching, numbers crunching, count it all, and you start becoming critical. You start becoming self-righteous. You start becoming legalistic because you're trying to do all the right things instead of morally and motivationally just loving God and allowing Him to shift your focus and put His word down in your heart so that you don't sin against Him. So you get a tattoo. But you could get a, get a tattoo for the wrong motives and it be sin. I don't think they're bad. I don't have any. But it's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. Hear me clearly. It, we, we, how do you do it? And what are you wearing? And God's looking here. Man looks at the outward appearance. God Looks at the heart. God searches the heart. God wants the seat of our heart to be morally and motivationally pure. This is what Paul told Timothy. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. From a clean conscience and a sincere faith. Those three things was the whole goal of his ministry. This is 1 Timothy 1.5. What did he want to do? Love from a pure heart. A clean conscience and a sincere faith. Something that's real, that's evident, and that translates into your lifestyle. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to do this in silence this morning. Taylor, I don't want you to play. I just want you right now to take, we're just going to do this for 60 seconds, okay? I know preachers lie about time. All the time, but I've got a watch that records seconds, okay? (laughs) We're just going to take 60 seconds right now. I just want you to put your eyes on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is given to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit, would you convict us right now? Would you show us our morals and our motivations? Would you reveal to us why we do the things we do and how we do them? And would you purify, would you cleanse, would you wash, would you heal? God, I pray that you would make us pure morally. I pray that you would renew and redeem and restore right and wrong. And that we would learn that you are right and what you say is righteous. God, would you deliver us from the opinions of man? Would you deliver us from a false gospel? from following another spirit and following another Jesus? And would you restore biblical foundation to us? Come and convict us. Come and reveal Jesus to us. Make us right morally. Make us right motivationally. Give us the mindset of Jesus. Help us to live for righteousness, to seek first your kingdom, And to trust you for all the rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.